the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, happy Friday. It's Matt Browning back with the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. It's interview Friday, happy dance, and this is going to be a good one. I have a really, really cool dude I interviewed. This was a couple of months ago, and I've been sitting on this, waiting for the perfect time. And I think right now, September 2018 is the perfect time. This week's been awesome. If you listened to the episode I dropped just yesterday, uh, or I guess it was on Wednesday, September 19th, um, that was um, an episode that was really close to me. It was a personal story, sharing the story and the legacy of my brother who passed away uh, five years ago. So if you know me personally or if you've met me you know, in person, um, definitely check that out. You'll get a lot of insight into... I don't know, just, you know, growing up and some of the family stories and you'll learn, you know, quite a bit more about, uh, about me and about my brother, John. Um, if you are brand new to the podcast, welcome. So glad to have you. Make sure you subscribe. Feel free to rate and review as we get through this and I will see you uh, throughout the next few weeks. So today we have Tyler Basu. Tyler is a very, very interesting dude. He has, uh, he's been a podcast host for a number of years and on, uh, on his podcast, he's interviewed over 100 entrepreneurs that are quite successful to discover all of their tactics and strategies. He's the publisher and founder of Lifestyle Business Magazine. And Lifestyle Business Magazine, we get into what it was like to create a subscription revenue style business. And it was, it was fascinating to find out from him what worked and what didn't work. How he came out with a free app with a subscription, so very much like a, a New York Times type of a, a business model, and how he shifted that over the years. He's also the content manager for Thinkific, which is an all-in-one course creation software. And you know, we got into all sorts of things. Tyler is a, um, he's a family man. We talked for the good first little while all about marriage, kids, um, how far apart children should be from each other. I always ask people that with more than one kid because I have one, and my wife and I always pondered and wondered if we had more than one, how far apart should they be? So you can chime in on that conversation as well. Feel free to follow me on social media, at Matt Browning, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and you too can tell me how many children we should have. Uh, we also get into some of his, his starting where he started by flipping houses and he'll share the book that changed his life as a budding young entrepreneur. Um, he also moved into door-to-door sales and he shares some really cool stories about how to keep the hustle going after knocking on over 50,000 doors secrets to making sales and keeping sales after the fact and as a door-to-door salesperson there's some great insight he brings where in door-to-door sales you know you're responsible for essentially generating your own leads by knocking on doors and then closing sales up front but then they have to go through the whole company's uh, sales funnel and closing and, and installation process and everything and there's a lot that can be lost along the way so Tyler learned some really cool ninja strategies to be able to to check back in with customers over time so he would keep retention and not lose sales because of someone else's fumble so we get into that and we ask a great question is there such thing as a lifestyle entrepreneur and what does that really mean? Because nowadays the term gets thrown around a lot and you have a lot of people that are you know, taking an Instagram picture on the beach, not really working or are they working? Have they built something? Have they not? I don't really know. 
And, you know, I, I ask that question often, right? It's like, do you, I, I did an episode a while back. You can look in the archives for it. It was quite popular, actually. It's called Fall in Love with the Hustle. And the entire concept was if you want to be a lifestyle entrepreneur, fall in love with the hustle, fall in love with working your tail off and building something so you can have a lifestyle. And I think there's a lot of people trying to shortcut that these days. So Tyler and I get into that conversation and much more on this week's interview. So without any further ado, please enjoy Tyler Basu. So Tyler, we are finally doing this. Um, so, so excited. Uh, we've been we've been emailing back and forth and yeah, I, I wanna thank you too because you've actually been one of the guys as, as this podcast is getting up and running and rolling. I launched in February. Um, you've been a huge help to me, uh, a lot of amazing advice and, and just kind of, you know, just help me to navigate these waters of, uh, of interviewing great people and, and booking guests and, and production and everything. So I know you are um, a longtime expert at this. Uh, I'm excited to finally sit down with you and have you on the pod. So welcome. How you doing, man? I am good, man. Thanks for having me and uh, appreciate the feedback. And I, I appreciate you for handling, uh, feedback and uh you know suggestions like a champ that's a sign of some really good character so i appreciate that oh outstanding yeah i i, I always i always try to yeah I, I think feedback's important if you don't get feedback you're not trying hard enough you're not growing and if you don't fail i don't think you're trying hard enough so um and it sounds like we probably have a lot of that in common um but i want i want to <laughs> jump in, i want to jump in with you when we just before we started rolling tape you were i guess it's not tape anymore but you know let's pretend um, before we started rolling, you were telling me you're expecting a new child, your second baby. I am. Yeah. We're, uh, we're baby number two is due, uh, in October of this year. Um, I got a son who's two and a half right now, so he'll be about three by the time baby number two comes. And yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it. How, how, how do you feel about that? Cause you haven't done this yet. And I only have one child. I told you, uh, my son Val, my son Val is seven. But we yeah. talked a lot about the, if we were going to have a second one, the age in between, it was like the biggest parenting uh, conversation. Have, have you two talked about, like, did you plan that with like three years is just perfect? Or is that how it worked out? Um, are you yeah, excited we, about uh, that, that gap? This was definitely a conversation. And my wife works in the childcare field um, as a child development consultant. And so she's got all of these insights and theories of why I do it this way, why I do it that way. And we're trying to balance that with, let's just be grateful for the way things unfold and not uh, try to plan things to a T. But we did want a gap of, I think at least three years. So we're, we're just on the cusp of that three year gap for between these two. Uh, reason being, um, we wanted our son to have enough time in the first few years of his life to feel really, really special and just load him with, with self-esteem and confidence before number two comes in the world and, and takes a bit of attention, right? So that's so uh, awesome. In her experience, because she had an older brother who was about barely a year older than her, maybe a year and a half older than her. So there was some competition there. Uh, and she didn't want a competitive dynamic between the two. So that's why we stretched the gap just a little bit bigger so that, um, you know, there's, they're not so close in age that they're almost doing the same things, especially as they get older and interested in the same things or whatever. They're just, there's a big enough gap that they can each enjoy where they are and not compete, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's interesting, isn't it? How, uh, like as a parent, we, we so much want to, to not give our parent or our kids what we had that we don't like. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I always find myself doing that. You know, um, I love my dad today. We have a great relationship, but you know, growing up, he was really angry. So I always, ever since I, you know, I was a kid, I remember thinking, okay, I don't want to get angry at my kids. Right. Okay. And, and, and so it's did a you good, go the complete opposite? Like, complete oh. opposite. You know, in the beginning, I, I was a total pushover. Now what I've been learning, right. As he's growing up is okay. I need to have, so now I'm bringing like a sturdy kind of authority figure of a father, not being a right. friend but also not being a domineering right uh, character in his life. So it's just that I want to be an influencer in his life. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a good approach. I think either extreme, if you're on the extreme of either end, that's probably where there's the most risk of the, of your, you of some kind of backfiring happen somewhere in the middle is probably uh, a safer bet, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we could talk about this forever because I just, every time when someone has kids on, I'm like, oh, we, we'll spend the whole hour just talking about kids. Um, <laughs> but that's not everything. You uh, and, and, you're, and you're married. Um, yeah. You got married 2011. Was that right? Oh, man. I think um, about you. Oh, put you yes, on the spot. You were right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, color her eyes. When's her birthday? And when did you get married? What's her favorite <laughs> flower? Go. Just yeah, because we're coming up on a seven year wedding anniversary. So yeah, it was two, it was 2011. Oh, nice. Okay. So again, we're, we're pretty close to that. So I, I got married in 2010. Uh, and we just had eight years uh, last month. So uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Uh, this marriage thing is, is amazing. Um, can't imagine life without her at this point, obviously. Yeah. I, I was super, I was super lucky, man. We got married. We were 21 when we got married. Oh, um, wow. So we're, we both turned 29 this year and most of our friends are just now getting engaged and getting married and so on. We were definitely uh, jumped into it young, but I, I think part of that was just um, we recognized that we were, so, we, we made such a great team early on. And rather than uh, like questioning whether or not we were ready for that, um, we just were just grateful for the fact that we found each other at a young age. We didn't, uh, you know, put it off w- or whatever. Uh, we just, we just jumped in and not wow. saying that it was like perfect from the beginning, you know, there, there were some, you know, there's some ups and downs as every couple has, but we, it's been, uh, we made, we definitely made the right choice. That's probably the best choice I ever made in my life. Yeah. That, that, that's, it's great to hear too. Uh, with, with so much, so much going on with families, with marriages, relationships in general, and, and all the different ways that the world's coming together right now. Uh, it's 2018 as we record this. I just got to say, it's really, it is really nice too to see that, hey, something traditional is okay, right? It's not like, you know, it's almost has become, I don't know, like out, out in the seminar world. I know we, we both go to a lot of events. Um, it's easy to almost be like, hey, well, that's, you don't have to do it that way. So now that's bad. It's like, well, what's wrong with having getting married and having a couple of kids. Is that okay too now? Right. So it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's nice to have all of that. Is she Canadian also? Or are, uh, she Canada? is, um, she's originally from El Salvador. Uh, she was oh, born cool. there and she came to Canada as a baby. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Did she come right to Vancouver? Is that like where her family's in that same she, area? Yeah, she did. She came to Vancouver. We both grew up in the same neighborhood, uh, different elementary schools. Um, we met though when our two elementary schools had like a school dance together. Uh, and then we ended up, I didn't, we didn't really start dating till, uh, we were we ended up in the same Not high school, seventh grade? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, same, same high school. It was grade 12 that we started dating. Um, that was the third time I asked her out and she finally said yes. The third time, uh, you so. can wear the good ones down. Like, you know, guys <laughs> like me, we got to wear them down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we've been, uh, been together since, uh, 2007. Um, and that was our last year of, uh, of high school. Wow. So high school sweethearts, 
very uh-huh. cute, very cool. Um, at, at that point, so you were 21 and you'd been already out there hustling, doing a lot of work. Uh, I know you, you got your start. What, did you get your start doing door-to-door sales or did you have, what was your first job? Uh, first job, um, at least out of high school was renovating houses. Um, I had read, I had read rich dad, poor dad, learned about real estate investing. I said, Oh man, I want to be a real estate investor. So I should probably learn how to like fix a house. So yeah, I did, uh, while I was doing a little bit of school, I did some business management. I, um, for about a year and a half while I was in school, I was, uh, renovating houses to help pay for that. Now, were you doing all that on your own or were you working with like a, an investor, like partner or a team or, or how did you? So I was just like the kind of the, the general right hand guy to this engineer who mm-hmm. was renovating his own home. And it was a three story, hundred year old home that he had gutted one wow. story at a time. So I got to go in and during that year, uh, get my hands on every part of the process from like framing yep. to uh, a little even bit of electrical and and uh, and drywall uh, and then all the way through to finishing like putting the floors down and and painting the walls and all that kind of stuff so I got to learn a little bit about pretty much every aspect um, of uh, of renovating a home and then uh, and then and from there I ended up in so it would have been like nineteen at the time and I spent a year in the financial planning industry uh, had a kind of a, I learned a lot, but I didn't get any clients because I'm this 19. I mean, look how I, I look young now. Imagine me at 19. I looked like I a thought little, you were 19. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> at, at 19 in financial services, uh, um, I learned a ton, uh, you know, took care of my own personal finances, got myself life insurance, mutual funds, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I didn't get any clients. So after about a year of that, uh, I switched, uh, ended up in direct sales, did door to door for a year and a half, mm-hmm. right up until we got married. Um, and then I ended up in real estate for a couple of years after that. Wow. So, so you get to start doing, I, I love the, the rehab thing. So it, it's scary how parallel this is too. So I, when I was 18, I got out of high school. I went to continuation high school and all my, my listeners know this. Um, so I went to three high schools and then I found myself uh, at a 12 step meeting. I met a brother and these two brothers uh, were in real estate and mortgages and I started working for them. And uh, by 19, I bought my first house from my boss, Ed. And then I walked through basically rehabbing that house with him. And then I continued on once I got it. And then I got another house and I just started like doing that early on. So it was all real estate. Um, did you know you wanted to, to do more real estate? Like it, when you were doing the flipping thing, like what was that like internally for you? Did you, did you wake up like excited? Like, this is amazing. I want to like, I want to learn all about this. This is my future. Or was it a, Hey, this is great right now. And we'll see what the future holds. Um, no, it was definitely uh, an intentional choice. Um, so I think it, it, the way that I've approached uh, the, my early 20s and even up until now is deciding what I'm going to do next based on the skill set that I wanted to add to my tool belt. And that, I think it all comes back to that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where he says when you're young, yeah. you're just getting it started uh, in your career, work to learn, not to earn. So I, I, I kind of worked backwards from, okay, let's say you know, 10 years from now, if I want to be, uh, you know, a quote unquote successful entrepreneur, I want to be in Mm -hmm. business. What are the skill sets I should probably pick up along the way? Um, I wanted to learn real estate. I wanted to learn sales. I wanted to learn about finance. Uh, I wanted to learn about, uh, online marketing. So, um, I ended up, I put myself in roles that would 
allow me to check off like one of those skill sets mm -hmm. um, at a time. So the, yeah, it was definitely intentional. I was super grateful for the opportunity to renovate houses. You know, I, I wasn't, I was maybe making like 12, 15 bucks an hour. It wasn't a mm -hmm. whole lot, but I walked away from that experience knowing how to renovate a house. Uh, and so when I was 21, uh, maybe even 22, um, that's when our family, my, myself, my wife, her brother and his wife, the four of us got a house together, fixed it up, moved hmm. it in. Um, Did I was you move in, into it to fix it up. Is that yeah, what you said? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, it was, uh, it was all cosmetic, the, okay. the work that needed to be do, done to it. So we, it only took us about a month. So I think we got possession of the house. We spent about a month working on it and then we moved in. Um, wow. So that was, so that was about five years ago. And then last year I picked up a, a townhouse that needed a bit of work as well. Um, went in, spent a couple of weeks on it, fixed it up. And now I rented out, uh, to my, to my, my, my brother and my dad who lived together in there. Oh, wow. Um, so it gave me the skill set and the, uh, to, to be able to get my hands dirty if I need to, and, you know, work on my own home and work on properties as I, as I acquire them. So yeah, there was definitely, wow. um, intention behind why I took that job and every job that I've ever taken. I, I've never taken a job just because I needed the money. I've always taken it because um, I would walk away with a skill set that I, that I specifically wanted. Dude, that, that is a, that is incredible. You know, the, the first, did you have be, long before this, did you have any uh, like entrepreneur type, I don't know, like experiences or moments as a kid, Do you have a lemonade stand or, uh, we've, I've been hearing oh. some funny, crazy stories about people, people like us that they have are creating what we're creating now. Uh, there, it's always interesting to hear what the childhood was like, and it's either yeah. I didn't have that or I totally was already like that all my life. What was it like for you? Uh, I didn't have, um, yeah, I don't have one of those stories of me running a lemonade stand or whatever as a kid. <laughs> um, I didn't have, they usually uh, weren't very profitable just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't have, t I didn't have, um, I didn't come from like an entrepreneurial family, really. Uh, my my mom, I watched my mom become a realtor when I was about sixteen. Oh, okay, that was probably the closest thing to being an to having an entrepreneur in the family at the time. And then my uncle, uh, who lives uh, across Canada in Ottawa, uh, he, he was acquiring properties. Um, yeah. I watched him, you know, throughout my teenage years, move from you know selling a condo in uh, in London. Uh, just at kind of the height of the market there. And so he was able to take the money he learned from, from he, he got from selling a condo. He came to Ottawa, bought a duplex uh, with that money, turned it into a triplex, lived in one unit, rented out the other two units. And as soon as he had more equity, he pulled that out and bought a, a crack house that he gutted like and renovated and rented that out. So like I watched him acquire multiple properties um, over a few year period and just kind of build a, his real estate portfolio. I'm watching my mom get out there selling real estate. So that I think those were my, uh, if we're speaking just in terms of who's in my family doing yeah. business stuff yep. or doing it, yeah, it would just be, those would be the only two. Um, it's interesting to watch a real estate investor uncle and, and a real estate salesperson mom. And then shockingly, you're like, well, why don't I flip a house? <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, that's kind of what, uh, when I, um, so I didn't really have mentors or examples to follow other than those two examples, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, it was books. It was reading business books yeah. like rich dad, poor dad, and, and, you know, a lot of the finance books and then, uh, and then getting into direct sales and learning from, from actual entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, it was more 
me learning business happened more so after my teenage years or like from 17 onwards, I would say. But as a kid, no, I didn't have too much exposure to, to entrepreneurs. That is so cool. It's also refreshing to know because I think sometimes we, we hear those stories and it's like, oh, when I was eight, I was doing this. When I was 12, I was doing that. And, and you realize it's, it's never too early or never too late to get into the game, whatever that game is you want to play, you know? And I love that you, uh, let's switch gears just a second. You, I want to talk about that door to door sales uh, work. Sure. So for, at 20 years old, you said you'd knocked over 50,000 doors. And yeah. I, <laughs> if, if you're not familiar with the math, I, I recently did them. I wasn't doing the math while I was doing it. Um, oh, right. I just took it one day, one day at a time. Uh, and on, on average, I would have a hundred doors uh, in my, you know, territory each mm-hmm. day. Uh, but I did that six days a week for 18 yeah. months. So I just, I, you know, I recently did the math of, okay, a hundred doors a day on average times yep. six days a week times 600 you know, doors a week, or 80 weeks or whatever it is. It ended up being something like 50,000 doors. Wow. Yeah. So, so you weren't going, okay, I'm 42,191. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I've known a lot of people in my life, uh, good friends that have, have done door to door sales. I never did. I just, I was always terrified and I sucked at it when I tried. Um, mm-hmm. But it is definitely an art and, and there's a lot of, of grit that you have to be able to have, right? Or character that develops to do that. I know. Could you speak to um, what, what's the mentality to get out? I don't know, after a week, after two weeks, after three months, even to, to keep yeah. at this thing that clearly has a high level of rejection. Um, yeah. and, and I'm sure you've had all sorts of crazy experiences from positive to negative. Uh, but, but speak to the mentality, I guess, and the heart condition of how do I keep doing this thing that is really one of the highest rejecting kind of industries or spaces yeah. that you can do in business? Yeah. And that, and that's pretty much the reason I got into it is like yourself, I was, um, scared of selling like mm-hmm. the year before I did door to door sales and I was in the financial planning, uh, industry, uh, I was terrified to, you know, approach somebody cold and say what I do. Um, and you know, see if, uh, if there was a way we could work together. I was absolutely terrified. Uh, so I, consciously chose to like okay if this is something i'm a, i'm scared of uh and i want to be uh, i want to be in business and i want to be successful in business i know for sure that sales is one of the skill sets i'm going to need yeah. um when everything else goes wrong if you can't pick up the phone or knock on a door and sell something you're going to be in trouble when the moment you face some some difficulty in business, right? Right. Uh, so I knew that that would be a fundamental skill set, and I knew that I sucked at it, uh, which is exactly why I started looking for the most difficult possible job, so like a uh, sales job that I could get, which was definitely was 100% commission door to door sales. So I was selling like TV what were you internet selling? Phone. You were selling TV and home phone. Yeah, TV oh. internet home phone plans. Mm-hmm. Um, very so that's why there. I got into it is I, I knew it was going to be difficult. Uh, I knew that this was a skill set I, I needed to master. I couldn't avoid it or it would come back to haunt me throughout my life. Uh, mm-hmm. And fortunately, uh, there was great training. So I think the first mindset shift that happened was this is a learnable skill. There's a process to doing sales, just like there's a process to doing anything else out there. There's a process that's proven. This is the process that's worked in direct sales for thousands and thousands of sales reps for the last, you know, decades. Follow the script. Right. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. 
So they plugged me into this training. Um, I had to learn the product. So I knew what I was selling. And then I had to learn the process of how to sell. Um, didn't take long. Within, within about a week or two, I'm mm -hmm. now armed with this process. Then, the, then it became a game of uh, executing that same process day after day, regardless of how much rejection. I it was just a numbers game. Because um, this is cold calls, right? Day. Cold calling in person, you know. You're showing up at somebody's house unannounced. They didn't ask you to be there. They're potentially really, really not qualified, or maybe they are qualified for what it is that you're you're offering. So it, it was just no idea. It's like there's one out of like how many? What, what was your percentages roughly? Like so I would like a good a doors. good day out of like a hundred doors. Uh, yeah. So out of a hundred doors, not everyone would be home. Um, yeah. So we would do two laps, at least two laps throughout a territory. We'd do a lap in the afternoon and then we'd circle back in the evening mm -hmm. to get all the people that said come back later that weren't home the first yep. time we tried. So I, I, I would maybe on average actually end up talking to about 50 or 60 people. Oh, wow. Uh, That's quite high though. Uh, it's quite high, again, because work in the territory two, three times in one day. So I'd maybe talk to 50, 60 people. From that, you know, some would be interested some would shut me down pretty quickly um but a good I mean, day would be you'd like, actually be able to talk to for like any length of time you know get through your whole pitch or have a conversation with out of out of the 50 or 60. yeah um i would get i would probably get to actually pitch give a full presentation or at least a, a quick version of it um to 20 people on average all right and then from that if i could get you know 10 to 20 percent of them that's a pretty good day um I would need to do at least one or two deals to make money in the first place and not be a wasted day. And then a good day would be like three or four or five. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, and then of course, uh, I know this industry a little well too. Then you have the install process and, and you have customer right. retention and you have cancellation and you have all these different, uh, what, what, did you learn anything interesting about like the sales I guess the entire funnel, the entire process. Cause yeah. as the door to door guy, you're this front guy who goes, Hey, I got a lead. Hey, I got them. They're in, I'm ready. They're ready to go. I'm getting paid. But then there's all these other people in the chain uh, that have to fulfill the thing you promised and then anything can happen. Yeah. So the way that it worked, did we would call in the deal um, for whether it was their, their TV, internet, home phone, or a whole package thing. Yeah. Uh, and we'd set up an installation date for a tech to come. Yeah. So I learned very quickly that, if I did any sort of a hard sell or didn't explain how it was going to work afterwards or just got the deal and, and kind of left and there was no, maybe no follow-up or just didn't set the expectation or sure. um, didn't coach them through, like didn't make them, if they weren't like excited to actually make the switch from whatever company they were with, then what they would probably do if they were clever is they just call the company that they're with right now and say, Hey, we just had a guy come to our door and he just offered us this thing with a competitor. Can right. you match it? So if somebody was just price shopping, those are the people that would cancel quickly because they take whatever deal I proposed and they present it to whoever they're with right now and usually get it matched. And then my, and then my installation gets canceled and I don't, I don't get paid from that. So I got, I had to get really good at qualifying the people that I was selling to and making mm -hmm. sure that these are people who actually want to switch, not just because of price. Um, yeah. They're excited about better service or they're not happy with who they are or, or whatever. Cause those are the people who, even if their current provider matched the price, mm -hmm. that wouldn't be enough to keep them they're, They They literally want to make the switch. So I had to get better at qualifying. And as I got better at qualifying and getting people excited about, the you know making the move 
to what I proposed, those are the ones who didn't, you know, cancel their installation dates or whatever. Um, so yeah, I learned pretty quickly that, you know, the hard sell um, wasn't worth my time. You know, maybe yep. it worked in the short run, but it ends up becoming higher cancellation rates uh, after I leave the home. Um, so yeah, uh, it's funny that the more I learned the sales tactics, um, yes. the more people who like, when, when you start using those tactics, people know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, so I learned that, Hey, you know what? I'm just gonna, I know what the, the steps of the sales process are, but I'm not going to do it in a pushy sleazy tactic kind of way. I'm going to do it in an authentic, calm more indifferent, friendly kind of way. Um, so even though the process was the same, the way I approached it, uh, if I was calm, if I was indifferent, if I was friendly, um, then, uh, cancellations would go way down for sure. I, I love that. Uh, and I'm glad you said that too, because in my sphere, in the neuro-linguistic programming NLP thing, um, so it gets such a bad rap sometimes because people go, oh, NLP is that all salesy and you're pushing people. And I go, no, pushy people push people. Sleazy people yep. use any tool to be sleazy. The only NLP sales technique that ever has been is the five-step sales process. And it's right. literally just the sales process. But if you hit each step, it's up to you how you do that, right? You don't need to use some funky language pattern to get them to mindless, you know, it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's silly to me. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's the steps that I had to follow, the style in which I execute those steps. It was different for everyone. Like right. I remember um, a couple of weeks into having that job uh, and I started getting, I started producing, I was getting sales every day. That's when they, they uh, um, you know, put me in charge of helping train new people that came into the office. Yeah, I remember sense. training the first, the first guy I ever trained was this super analytical guy. He was going to engineering school. There was no, uh, you know, not to hold it against him, but there wasn't a lot of personality. There wasn't charisma there. He was like the complete opposite of what you imagine a good salesperson to be. Yeah. We taught him this process and he just went out there and in his own kind of introverted, analytical, shy kind of way, he just followed the process and worked, and it worked. And within a few months, he was the top sales rep in that office. And by then, I had, I had moved to another office to help build another team. But I had heard that he had become the top sales rep in that office that he stayed in. And he, like, if you meet this guy, you would not think he's in sales. Right. But he, was just, he was just following the, pro the process, right? But he learned an authentic way to do it that's, that's connected to him. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you, uh, everything you do, it seems that you've been able to apply that same principle to, which I really love. So you have um, this really cool magazine, the Lifestyle Business Magazine, you, you've produced and published and, uh, and obviously create. You've done three books now, is that accurate? Or the more than five? Uh, yeah, that is, that is accurate. Yeah, 60 books. Uh, the Lifestyle Business uh, Blueprint. I have taken a yeah. peruse of the book. I've not had a chance to read the entire thing through. Um, but tell me, what's kind of the main the main premise you'd want someone to know to pick up that book is uh, I think you have done really well to create what we'd call that lifestyle business, right? And whatever the lifestyle is where some people want it to be travel. Um, you clearly are traveling, but you love where you live. Uh, your family guy, you know, being able to spend time with your family and doing things like this, building a business around the life that you want to have. Um, are, are there, I don't know, like a key lesson or a point or something um, that you'd want to chat about or it, if I've never touched this thing before and I said, what does a lifestyle business even look like and how do I get started with it? What would you yeah, tell That's me? a good question. Um, I'll first uh, share like what it's not. Cause I think there's a misconception. <laughs> that's when people so good. Get a lifestyle entrepreneur, they see, 
you know, a picture of some dude with a laptop sitting on a beach or whatever. Like every I would time. never do that. I would never take my laptop to a beach. Like beach time yeah. is beach time. <laughs> I, <can laughs> no, I tell you. Plus, plus like MacBooks are expensive. Why would you bring them to the yeah. ocean? I, I'm not going to risk a grain of sand in my laptop. So, uh, that's, so that's, that, that's what it's not. Um, when I, so when I use the term, what I mean is, um, just building a business, uh, in a way that has some systems and structure so that it gives you time to focus on other aspects of your life that are important to you. So it's, it's not the end all be all of you want a successful business and that's, that's your only priority. It's I want a successful business, but I also want time with family or I want freedom to travel or I want to, um, you know, uh, have time for my, my hobbies or recreation or, you know, whatever the case, whatever's important to you. Um, sure. right. Uh, and so, so far, I haven't met anyone that was able to somehow skip the hustle and grind phase of building their business. I think so that that's, good. you know, that always does come in the beginning um, where you, you don't just get to flick a switch uh, and say, you know what, I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur now. I'm only going to work, you know, four hours a day and I'm not going to take calls at this time. Like, uh, I don't think you can get there overnight, um, but a lifestyle entrepreneur is somebody that you know, they see the hustle and grind as that's a phase. It's not a life sentence. And I'm building systems and structure to help get me out of that phase. And so that's why when I, when I interviewed uh, different lifestyle entrepreneurs for my podcast, I'm always asking, what was the transition like? Mm -hmm. How did you go? Like, how did you build your business? And now what have you done to have some systems and structure? And what are other priorities that you have outside of your business? Uh, so I, I, I hope that answers your question. Um, Really yes, well, actually, identifies as a as a lifestyle entrepreneur is somebody that is intentionally building a specific business model. They're picking a business model that's not going to destroy their lifestyle goals or get in the way of their lifestyle goals. Right, because I, I think um, when when we look at like say our our history and we look at like you know dads or moms and how we grew up, there seems to be two big distinct camps. There's that camp of my dad worked all the time and he was always gone, so I don't want to be that. Or there was a camp of, we didn't have that much. We didn't have a lot growing up. So I'm going to go get out there and hustle and get it figured out. So I don't have to suffer the same way. And, mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden now we become that dad who our kids grow up and go, how come my dad was never there? And you're like, well, because I was hustling because I didn't have a lot. Now you have a lot. And they're like, I don't want yeah. a lot. I just want you there. And there's this like generational <laughs> thing. Um, yeah. But I, you know, it's so funny that you said that too. I love it because um, I just did, I think like a couple of episodes ago, I just did a podcast on um, exactly that topic, which is freedom and lifestyle versus grind and hustle. And mm -hmm. what, does, what does the life of an entrepreneur look like? And exactly that, what we came down to is, I, th I think people misunderstand how it works. And a lot of, especially younger guys seem not to be, you know, girls and everyone um, seem not to be, in love with the hustle and grind part, but mm -hmm. they're really in love with this lifestyle part. And to get the, it's one after the other, you know, I, I'm 12 years into doing the, a workshop and coaching style business um, evolution. And I've, I've put on hundreds and hundreds of workshops. I've coached thousands of clients. Um, I'm not like the biggest or the best in the world. We've got a great small team, about eight people, We've got an office down here, cranking along, right? Doing business. But I, I feel like I've now gotten to the point where man, dude, there was time when I was on the road constantly and I was in a new city. I did like 35 weekend seminars in a year one time between four different countries. Like I was out there crushing it as far as hustle and grind and work. 
And now I believe I've earned over a, a decade doing it some enough respect to, to say, Hey, I can say no to that one speaking gig. Mm-hmm. That's not going to, that doesn't work for me. I'm not going to fly out, stay overnight, do all this stuff to speak for 15 minutes to 10 people. I, I'm not disrespectful. I, I thank you for the opportunity, but it doesn't fit any longer. I've earned some lifestyle credit, I think, you know, um, but, but how you earn lifestyle credit is through paying with grind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, paying with hustle and you, uh, I mean, if you find a way to that. avoid it, you know, let me know. But like I said, I, I've, I've yet to meet anyone who's managed to skip that phase. Well, I got this great scam. I got this great scam. <laughs> that's, to me, that's the only people I ever meet are those people who have gone yeah. from industry to industry to industry. And unfortunately, sometimes it's, you know, and, they, and they'll leave a bad mark on the industry. And I just, that frustrates me. That's kind of yep. why in my business, I'm moving more into the online marketing world because there have been these marks in the mortgage business, as you probably know, and in the real estate business from mm-hmm. those guys that don't want to hustle and grind and build something, you know, loyal and authentic. They just want to get this quick buck and all of a sudden they're taking advantage of people or they're just selling whatever they can sell to make money. And then when that went down 2007, 2008, now, a lot of them popped up in internet marketing. So just because you market your business online doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but there's certainly some smoke and mirrors and some stuff like that out there, uh, which is why I love trying to cut through the smoke and finding you know, good, authentic people like yourself. Tyler, tell me, about, uh, tell me about this Lifestyle Business Magazine. What I've thought about over the years, potentially one day doing a magazine, and I feel like I wasn't sure if the time had passed. I know the time has changed, obviously. You know, ask the New York Times, right? The way they sell newspapers changes. When did you first get into the magazine side of business? Or is it, is it different? Is it the same as, you know, uh, you're doing, you do a lot of blogs, your podcasts, your books. To you, is it an extension of that? Or is it a whole different, like, arm of the business? How does that work? So I, I started uh, Lifestyle Business Magazine. I started uh, in 2015. Um, this is when I left real estate, I left real estate to, uh, to start this magazine, uh, and the podcast shortly after. So so it started as a first piece. The magazine was the first piece. Uh, it started as an app, uh, in the app store, um, where you would download the app and it was literally a digital magazine. You know, there's, you know, 60, 70 pages per issue of articles that I collected from contributors and a lot of content that I created myself, uh, you know, drawing from interviews uh, and things like that of different entrepreneurs that I interviewed, I would write, um, you know, stories about them. And uh, so it started as, as that app in the app store. I think we were charging like three or four bucks, uh, whatever it is to download this magazine. And then, and that was per uh, issue or was that, was that to buy the app and then you could have a subscription? No. So yeah, the app, you, you can download the app for free. Okay. Um, and then it's, if you want, once you've got the app on your phone, every time a new issue is added, uh, it would show up and you, if you were already subscribed, like on a monthly basis, you'd get it. Otherwise you'd have to buy each, each one uh, individually. Gotcha. Um, but anyway, about three, three or four months into that, I'd published like three issues and I start realizing, holy crap, it is freaking, it is very time consuming, very expensive to create these issues of each magazine. And here I am making like two, three bucks profit off of each subscriber. And it just like, I had given, I had, I knew going into it that, uh, you know, that was the model that I chose that like, Hey, it's probably going to take a little while to get a few thousand customers to yeah, even just ramp it up. pay for the cost of creating it. 
Um, but I didn't get those few thousand customers fast enough. So like three months in, I'm like, Oh shoot. Okay. I got three issues. And I'm like, okay, I got to figure something out here. Um, so long story short, I ended up, uh, closing down the app and just putting all articles on the website for free, all podcast interviews on the website for free. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I switched to working directly with entrepreneurs, um, with their, with their content strategy, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, content marketing and so on. Um, to help so that I could provide for my family. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I wasn't, so I'm no longer, there's no longer an app that I charge like uh, money for all the gotcha. content's free. Mm -hmm. uh, and the way that I provide for my family is by working directly with businesses um, to help, you know, to help them with, with things like content marketing, but I keep the magazine or sorry, I, I, it's called a magazine, but really it's like, you know, articles are, are on the website for free. So it's not like an app anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but I keep that going because for me, it's like been a gold mine for building relationships. Like every contributor that wants to write an article, that's somebody I've got a relationship with now. Every person that's been a guest on the podcast, that's somebody I've got a relationship with now. And yeah. a lot of clients that I've been able to work with directly have all come through um, that, that community. Um, so if I could go back to like when I was leaving real estate, I would have said, hey, Tyler, you know what? You're leaving real estate. Uh, you got a family to take care of you probably should start with a premium service mm -hmm. uh, that you can offer the marketplace. Not uh, a bad idea. <laughs> use that to help bankroll something like a digital magazine, but starting with the magazine selling something that was like for, you know, each customer was worth like three bucks a month. Mm -hmm. uh, it just, I put myself in this weird spot where I couldn't really spend money to market the thing. Cause I would lose money to get that customer. Um, if there was no, you know, uh, like premium product or service on the back end, which there wasn't at the time. Right. Um, so yeah, learn from, from my, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's really ironic looking back that in building a brand about lifestyle entrepreneurship, I put myself in this really weird bind where I was like, um, just draining my personal resources to keep it going. And it like mm -hmm. picked a bad business model. Um, so yeah, to your question of, should you do a magazine? I would <laughs> do it if, the magazine leads to a higher priced product or service, maybe online courses or events or uh, coaching or consulting, something along those lines. Cause then your magazine can be the front end. So I went and built a front end type of, you know, tripwire type of product without having the back end. So if you're considering doing the magazine uh, yeah, just know that it's definitely uh, it's a long game. It's, it is quite expensive to produce an actual digital, uh, digital magazine or print magazine. Uh, and that each customer is only worth a few dollars unless you're using it as the front end for something that you charge right. a premium for. That's what, that's the way I would do it. Otherwise you're going to have to plan for potentially spending several years growing the magazine, pouring a ton of money into it to get it to a point where it's profitable. Right. And it sounds like too, you know, what you were describing is you started uh, transitioning uh, in the free content model. I mean, today we, you are looking at, there's so much free content and mm -hmm. like to stand out, what I see is, is just bringing quality free content where, you know, it, it's hard to like, if we did this podcast and said, Oh, this podcast costs $3 to get, you know, it's like, Oh, well, $3, like it's $3. Like Starbucks is more expensive than that, but that's not how we're trained right now. Right. We're trained that, Facebook is, is throwing stuff at us constantly. Instagram's throwing yeah. stuff at us constantly. Same company, I guess. Um, there's 500,000 podcasts. You can get any one you want. So the only real differentiation, instead of trying to charge a couple bucks for something, 
like, you know, I listened to a few episodes of your podcast. It's brilliant. You got, you know, you're interviewing Grant Cardone on there. I just uh, listened to the one with Mike Dillard. Um, I mean, Mike Dillard's a legend in internet marketing. You're like picking this guy's brain. Um, like you bringing really, really good, solid content is what we need right now. That's my opinion, you know? So whether it's, but a magazine is you have the layout and the production and the, and putting it all together where you could, instead of having 70 pages, you go, Hey, this is a ton of content over time. That's a bunch of blogs, a bunch of articles, a bunch yeah. of podcasts, and then you can reach all the people. Do you do any advertising at all? And what I mean is actually selling advertising. Do you, do you monetize uh, that way no. at all? No, I don't. I don't, do you, I don't sell. What do you think about I that? I considered that it when with content marketing. Um, it's a, it's a very, I, I don't believe in uh I, I don't believe it in as a very great model. Um, like I've got some friends who have got much more successful blogs and websites than myself. Like, like Joel Brown, for example, who's got addicted to success.com. Yeah. He, he was one of the first interviews I did for the magazine. Uh, and we were talking about how he had monetized addicted to success. And this is a site that's got millions of readers per month. Right. Right. And he has Google ads on it. And from those Google ads, he's generating a few thousand bucks a month, like two or 3,000 bucks a month, I think it was at the time. And do you know how freaking hard it is to, to build a site that gets millions of, uh, of visitors per month? And from that, if your model is advertising, you only get a couple thousand. I don't even think that covers his web hosting costs, certainly not his email marketing costs because his email list is bigger then uh, that, you know, has, is, is quite big because of the amount of traffic he gets. So, um, I mean, unless you're into losing money, <laughs> uh, I don't think that I'm not a big fan of let's put free ads, ads to other people's stuff on my free content site. Cause there's two problems with it. Number one, it doesn't pay a lot. Right. Two, why would you trade a couple of cents in ad revenue for somebody to leave your website? That, like, that, that always not, blows my mind. Why not keep them there longer? Why not try to get them on your newsletter? Why not give them some more resources? Um, why not have your own products and services? If you're out there creating a ton of free content, the quickest way to turn that, the exposure you're getting from your free content into a viable business is let's have a product or service to offer these people who consume my free content. And right. then you bridge the gap from you getting them from, from reading a blog post to getting on a newsletter or watching some free training or like a webinar uh, to you know getting on the phone with you or, 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 or getting on the sales page for whatever it is that you offer. If you just bridge that gap of here's how I take people from consuming my free content to buying from me, now all of a sudden you've got a business and you're not just, um, but if, if you're just throwing ads that are may or may or not be relevant, uh, and then people are literally leaving your site so you can get your 10 cents or 20 cents. Like, right. Even if you've got millions of people on your, on your web properties, like the, I just don't think that like, if you've got millions of people visiting your site and you're choosing between a couple thousand bucks from AdWords and uh, you know, multiple six figures, pr probably if you have a premium right. product or service going up a marketing funnel, <laughs> <laughs> I would choose to sell your own stuff. Now there is a middle ground of affiliate marketing, which is okay. If you're not ready to create your own products or services, uh, better than just having random ads would be let's intentionally choose some products or services that are out there that I know for sure are relevant yeah. and let's sign up for their affiliate programs. That would be like, you know, a good middle ground, I think do, do that model. But no, I, I, I never put ads in the magazine. Um, number one, because I was charging for the magazine. I said, if I'm going to charge for something, I'm not going to, 
I don't know if I'm going to put ads in it. Sure. People are paying for the content. I don't want them to see. If I wasn't charging, if it was a free magazine, maybe I would have done ads. But even then, the numbers just wouldn't have wouldn't have made sense. There there wouldn't have been enough traffic to the magazine yes. to even warrant thinking about making money from ads. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think too, just psychologically, how do I feel when I get like one of the things I like, I, I got back into video games recently in the last few years. I love playing Xbox. It's so much fun, but I miss the days, you know, you go buy a game for 30, 40, 60 bucks or whatever it is. And you just play the game. Right. And now it's like, again, the training's so weird and backwards. I got a free app. And then now like I constantly have to be saying no to, to sales offers. I'm like, you know, playing this farm game what the heck you know so how about i just pay you 20 bucks and i just get to play your game you know like i'm happy to but the reality is people won't do that because now our training is different right we're we're conditioned to no i should have it for free and then and then we ever and they get advertised too and then we go oh i hate the advertising so i'm with you i I don't i don't i don't really plan on ever uh, monetizing the podcast with advertising or the website or anything else. Um, I just want to put out again, great content, introduce people to great people like yourself. Um, and just, you know, have, have fun with it. And, and also, you know, it builds a brand too. Like when you're getting these great guests on and you're, and you're building your podcast and you're building, you know, great interviews with these entrepreneurs, there is that piece of it elevates you over time and, and, you know, guilty by association works both ways, right? So you're right. going to be guilty as successful by association. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, any, any, Final question, because I come into the twilight of the interview here, um, and then I want to make sure we, we sure. plug some stuff for you. I, I know you don't care, but I want to make sure we plug some stuff for you. Um, if you could talk to a 15-year-old you one more time and say, hey, in a few years, you got some opportunity to get out there and do something, what would you tell yourself? And would you have done it all over the same or differently? Um, <clears throat> I would... I will, I would, I don't know. It's, it's weird because I could say that I would do things differently, but if I did things differently, I wouldn't have learned the things that I know now, which yeah. allows me to give myself the advice <laughs> in the first place. So kind of a, um, but it's assuming a back I, to the future time warp, <laughs> right? It's a time warp thing. But if I could give, you know, my 15 year old self advice, I would say, um, to have more patience, and whatever it is that you decide you want to do, um, commit to truly mastering that craft. Um, a lot of great things will happen as a result of mastering at least one thing, uh, mm. which is hard enough to do in one lifetime. Like to become the expert at any one thing is pretty is difficult enough to do. True. Um, so I would tell myself not to chase too many different things, especially not all at the same time. Um, pick one thing at a time and commit to really mastering it um, before you tackle something else. Uh, And that way, if I became a lot more focused on mastering process versus chasing outcomes, um, and this goes back to a lesson in door-to-door sales, right? If, if, you know, if I get to a neighborhood and I'm thinking, oh man, I just want to close deals. I just want to close deals. It puts the wrong energy out there, right? And those are the days where I didn't do so good. But on the days where I said, you know what, I'm just going to do my best to execute these, these steps, this process that I have. And if I execute the process properly, the results will come. So I, sh- mm. I, I would just remind myself to, to focus on and respect process 
and then the results will come naturally. But I find that anyone who chases the results and, you know, you talked about those opportunity seekers that hop from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next sure. thing, because they're always chasing the results. And when they don't get it right away, they get impatient and they move on to something else. Whereas if you just find one person who said, who committed like 10 years to one thing, there's a good chance they're getting results by year 10 because they were literally focused on mastering one thing that whole time. Wow. That's great advice. So patience and yeah. respect process over outcomes because it's going to win in the long run. I love that. Tyler, where, where can we find you? I'm going to put up links and everything uh, in the show notes and on a webpage for you, but where can we find you? Um, if people want to connect with you, um, learn what the heck you're doing and get some of this awesome free content you're doing or, uh, or whatever it is, where can we find you? Uh, sure. So thank you so much uh, for the interview. Really appreciate it. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, as far as I know, I'm the only person with this name. Um, so I was lucky enough to get my own domain name, tylerbassi.com. That wasn't taken. So you can, uh, you can learn more about me there. You can get in touch with me there. Uh, I've got some free training there as well. If anyone's interested in uh, learning how you can create free content, um, but that actually ties to whatever product or service you're selling and uh, get clients from your content. There's a, there's a free video training, uh, tylerbassu.com slash training. Uh, we'll take you right to that, to that free video. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I'm happy to hear from anyone, uh, you know, just come and find me on social media or, or through, through my website. Awesome. And I'll bet. And we'll put up your social media links too. So I'm sure it's Tyler Basu and it's B-A-S-U. I'm the only one, man. If you find somebody else with this name, you got to let me know. Hit him up. You know what he looks like. (laughs) Uh, So his podcast is Lifestyle Business Podcast. Subscribe to it. Grab it. It's uh, really, really good. There's some great, great content in there. Um, Grab his book, Lifestyle Business Blueprint. Go to the website, tylerbasu.com and check out all things Tyler. Tyler, man, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you soon, buddy. Likewise, thank you. This was a lot of fun. My thanks to Tyler Basu for coming out and hanging out on the interview. Man, um, really, really enjoyed that conversation. And I'm sure if you listen, you know you probably got the same thing. It wasn't uh, it wasn't one of these infomercial interviews. And you know I don't do that kind of stuff anyway. This is my interviews are never you know the three keys to change your business for the blah 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 blah. We don't do that, man. I, I get a cup of coffee and I sit down on Zoom or in person in our podcast studio in Orange County and just get to know these really cool entrepreneurs that are doing awesome stuff. And like I said, Tyler is uh, just a phenomenal young man. Uh, You can follow him and you certainly should at Facebook at Tyler.Basu and we'll have all of his social media links. So so feel free to check it out and follow him and see what he's up to. What I like about Tyler too, if you uh, follow him on social media, he always puts some really thought provoking uh, content rich posts. So, you know, here like one that went out today was, you know, he talked about millennials having an inability to focus and saying, well, actually, we focus pretty intensely. And he talked about how many messages come through every day and what platforms. And he's all about sparking conversation with the community. So make sure you follow him and be part of his community. And certainly um, take Tyler up on anything he might be able to help you and your business with. Um, You can find out more at his website, which is, of course, you might imagine, tylerbasu.com. That's T-Y-L-E-R. B-A-S-U, TylerBasu.com. And again, we'll have the links in the show notes. Check it out. Um, one last time, if you haven't, of course, feel free to subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you share the podcast with some friends. 
share it on social media, whatever you want to do. It is for you. The best link, by the way, to share is mattbrawningpodcast.com. So you can do that or you can share from whatever device. But if you go to mattbrawningpodcast.com, it has links to all the platforms. So you can go to any that you want, Stitcher and Spotify and iTunes and Google Play and all that stuff, even the Podbean app, right where it's hosted. So love that. Love you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I will come back uh, next week, and we'll have some more deep teaching. Remember, if you want to be part of the teaching episodes, every Tuesday I drop some kind of a teaching nugget episode. Um, Hit me up on social media, at Matt Browning. You can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Leave some comments. Send me a direct message. Whatever you want to do, but tell me what you want to hear about. If you got a theme you want me to talk about, you want to help end procrastination, you want to talk about motivation, self-sabotage, more marketing, how to how to sell without selling, whatever you want to get into with lifestyle and business, you let me know and I will incorporate that and add it to the list. It's a growing list from you to me. I got a cool social media list right now. Everyone that has participated, I got almost 50 different topics that are all from you. So if you want to get your topic heard, if you want something that's important to you in your life, make sure you let me know um, on any social media and I will do my best to get into the podcast. And you know what I might do? You know, I am going to do this. I will even, I'm going to make a note of exactly who submitted what topics and I will give a shout out to you on the podcast episode if you would uh, let me know what themes you want. So you'll get a shout out on the episode uh, when I drop that theme. Have an awesome weekend. Get out there and keep after it.